and a Jai Shah. Whoop the Irish. Okay, what's going on, guys? And welcome to a brand new episode of Energized. Ross, introduce the guest, man. Yet again, we have two of Ireland's finest MMA media members. We have the man in Stockholm, Mr. Phil O'Connor, and the one and only Noel McGrath. Lads, how are we doing? God, I can only speak for myself here, but if I was any better, I couldn't stand it. How are you, Noel? I'm good, man. Yeah, I think everyone's uh, in Ireland's a little bit, uh, a little bit of a smile on their face after last night. So, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Imagine doing oh, this after an England win. No offense to the English, and no offense. Yeah, no, all offense to them. All offense to them. That all would, offense. As Barry Glendening said on the Guardian Football Podcast, that would have been one of the top ten worst things in my life if they'd have won last night. But one of the, I actually worked on that tournament as well, lads. And the very last article I wrote was about the English FA statement condemning the racism that yeah, the likes of Sancho and Rashford and that so forth. And it was a really sad way to end the thing, you know. So Definitely. hopefully we'll have more positive things coming out of that. But having said that, you know, there has been a great week of sport uh, just behind us, and there's even more now with the Olympics start next week. So we exactly. live in hope. Yeah, actually, yeah. what's called uh, any hopefuls over in Tokyo for us there, Phil? Do you know what? Like, this is literally the first day that I sat down with it. So today I booked two COVID tests, one for Wednesday, one for Saturday, and I'm flying out there on Monday. And as, as of right now, Ross, I have done zero research, right? Absolutely nothing. I did some preview stuff, but I literally haven't looked at any of the Irish, any of the Scandinavians, anything. So that'll be the, it now for the rest of the week. The rest of you guys, and I will be back on the sunbed now, drinking pints in the various different uh, terraces of Dublin. I'll be working hard doing my research for the next few days before flying out. So, you know, sometime maybe I might drop into the podcast sometime during the Olympics when I've caught up on all these guys and girls. Yeah, I think uh, okay. Reese McLennigan, who does the pommel horse, which is sort of like a random event, is supposed to be very good. Um, so maybe maybe look out for him. Yeah, look out. Yeah, uh, I, I used to be in that sport, but I couldn't afford to keep it because I couldn't afford to feed it. You know. So. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, okay. Baz, Baz, any hot takes on that match last night? No. Uh, the penalties. Yeah, I think. Well, first of all, uh, uh, we'll we'll talk about it for two minutes just because like it's one of the most relevant things of the weekend. But, yeah. Uh, by the MMA, but uh, what did you make of Saka taking a penalty and Sterling and Greedish not being selected to hit a penalty? That was very strange. I thought. Yeah, especially coming off the two misses, like the fifth one's most important. Uh, Saka's only 19. I, I, it was a bad decision. It was just a bad decision. And like, yeah, he may have said he wants to take it, but he may have been like, if I don't say I want to take this next time around, he won't pick me, you know? So it wasn't just a bad decision. I think it was the worst decision I've ever made, yeah. uh, I've ever seen made by a coach in a final, right? Uh, if you sit there looking at it, the last three penalty takers for England were 23, 21, and 19. Team. All three of them substitutes, all three of them young black men who hadn't played, you know, uh, two of them had only come on in like the 127th, 128th minute. Sancho in particular, I've spoken to people at Borussia Dortmund at, at the beginning of the tournament, they're going, it's actually like Gareth Southgate has never seen this young fella play football because he would solve all the problems that England team and then to call on them at the end of the final to take penalties and Crazy. you know Saka I think it's like I mean to be honest Southgate is a great man right and he's a great coach to a certain level yeah. but he's appallingly like you know I called him a coward and he just he's appallingly scared to do the right thing you know and he got caught out last night and the unfortunate thing is and he was very you know humble about it he said that's on me that's on me but the problem is the genie's out of the bottle and now those three lads are getting abused and they were getting abused minutes yeah. after the whole thing yeah. you know their Facebook and their Instagram and that kind of thing and to me, it's really, really sad just because he's so innately sort of, you know, cautious or conservative because, you know, that game was there for the winning by England. But, you know, you live in hope that these lads will bounce back. What does a Manchester United fan is? He's going to stick up for Sancho and Rashford now, aren't they? Well, actually, Noel, I just want to ask you on Sancho and Rashford. Do you think yeah. if they were meant to hit a penalty, should they have come on with maybe 10 minutes to go to actually let them have a bit of a run around? Like, that was basically their first kick of the ball. 
Definitely, it, you know, and that's what's really frustrated me throughout this tournament. With um, as Phil was saying there about Gareth Southgate, like he's so many good players sitting on that bench. I think England, if you, if you look at them and you look at the squad, they can actually be so much better than they are if they if you know Gareth Southgate, as, as Phil said, had a bit of balls, went with Grealish, you know, maybe gave um. Uh, Sancho a bit more time on the pitch I think he started the semi-final against Denmark that was it came off the bench yeah you, you have to be on you have to get into the game before you're you're coming on to take a penalty and as he said the young lads like that could ruin Saka's career you know people are going to yeah. look back now and if England don't win something in the in the near future which you know I can't really see them winning in four years time either so people are going to look back at this young lad and go that's the guy that, that missed the, the penalty in the European final and he's only 19 and he could be remembered for that for the rest of his career and Basmo, one last question for you. Does Southgate get a new contract? Because that's the talk of the town. He will, yeah. At Middlesbrough. <laughs> <laughs> no, he'll get another one. He'll get another one. I mean, it's just, it, he's a yes man. He's basically, he's basically the, the English oligarch social. That's what it looks like right now, anyway. But lads, obviously people here after getting that great analysis, let us know. You taught the, uh, the European final there, but we're going to get into it. UC 264 over the weekend. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, we're, we've decided, <laughs> oh, I've decided, no, we've decided as a team here that we're going we're gonna to talk about the build-up, then the press conference, then the fight, because we, we don't want to leave anything now. So we're going to start with yourself, Phil. In the build-up to the fight, Connor was very, very quiet. He only did a couple of couple of interviews, and especially the Stephen A. Smith one rubbed him up the wrong way. But what did you make of the silence from the whole entire team in the build-up to the fight? Yeah, it was kind of expected because that's what Connor does off the back of a loss. It was the same thing in Diaz too. You know, it's like, okay, let's keep this as quiet as possible. Let's get back to basics. And, you know, for years now, you know, you guys have heard me be critical of the UFC. I think they've no idea what they're doing. I don't know. I don't think they know how to run a business. They know how to keep the fans that they already have happy, but they just have no idea how to reach the casual sports fan. You know, if they did, you know, Connor wouldn't be worth 300 million. He'd be worth 3 billion, you know, but they just can't manage that. And remember, like normally I will send them an interview or I'll talk to somebody at the UFC and say, look, I work for one of the biggest news agencies in the world. They have a billion readers every day and they still never give me an interview, but they always reply. And this time around, they didn't even reply. And I went, okay, Connor's obviously told him he's not doing anything. And there was some signs all week, lads, that he was playing his own game, right? One was at the weigh-ins when he came out in a football jersey with the Black uh, Forge pub on it, right? He wasn't wearing any of this crypto.com bullshit, right? He wasn't wearing any fucking Venom kit or that kind of thing. He was wearing his own stuff. And that... He was a sign that he was going to play in his own game. I know he did an interview with Ariel Hawani, but that was because it was Ariel and it was BT Sports. So that was for a broadcaster. So with all these things, the Euros we just mentioned with the UFC, they have a certain amount of obligations that you absolutely have to do and a press conference you have to do. But if we go back to the Diaz fights, Conor was so tired of doing all the media because they put him out there. They whipped him. You know what I mean? He talked about Floyd Mayweather, dance for me, boy. And Conor at that stage was just, no, no more dancing now. You know, so... In that way, I think he did the right thing. I do think that they failed to, to sort of whip up anything. But, I mean, what was really disappointing to me, lads, was the press conference and how he behaved because I didn't think he was funny. I didn't think that, you know, he came across as credible. I thought uh, when I saw him being interviewed by Oscar Willis, the lovely Oscar Willis on the MacLife.com, he looked very agitated. He was moving around a lot. He looked very tense. And that, to me, wasn't a good look. Now, we always have the benefit of hindsight here where we're trying to interpret what happened in the octagon and say, oh, were there any signs of this beforehand, right? And you can never 
really link the two because once the cage door closes, it's hard to know. But I wasn't all that impressed. It just struck me, you know, and I mean, I wrote about this over the weekend. It struck me as Connor's becoming this kind of like Elvis Presley was in Las Vegas that, you know, we're living on the old hits here, but there's nothing, there's nothing new there at all. So, you know, it was a little bit disappointing. I enjoyed new Connor, happy Connor in Abu Dhabi when his family was there. And that's solely because that, you know, at the end of the day, all I want to see is that bloke happy and his money made and him able to deal with whatever it is that burns him up inside. And I've said this for years, you know, and I didn't feel that that was the thing. I didn't feel that that's where he was in this week. And that's never good coming into a fight. Yeah. No, I have a question for you. And Ross, I have one especially for you as well. Uh, no, like, obviously, as we just pointed there, um, Connor didn't do much media. Did it feel like at, at the press conference, it almost felt like he had to like fit everything in that he hadn't done in the build up for it. And also, it was the first time he was disrespected by um, his opponent and sort of kept his mouth shut when um, Poirier says, you, I thought you were better. That member Connor says, uh, yeah. Your wife is your husband. <laughs> no, I agree. I think I, I agree with everything Phil said there. I think everything was forced. I think like the whole camp, really, to be honest, you, him going over to. Um, California trying to starve himself you know trying to get that far trying to get that hunger back in the belly uh, and you know t- as much time has been said all week you know it is it's it's that money you know he, you know he's in a precarious position in a fight he's getting choked dead at the back of his mind subconsciously he's going to think you know I've, I've 400 million in the bank at the <laughs> end of the day but but that's that's the reality of the situation you know your, your hunger definitely goes but yeah I agree with you with the press conference you know I thought it was a number of times Dustin fired off at him and he sort of he hesitated picked up the mic and put it back down I just don't think he's that confidence anymore that belief the X factor is gone as far as I'm concerned I don't think anyone sort of fears him anymore and I believe we saw that on Saturday night you know in the fight as well like Dustin you know walked him down walked forward he took a couple of shots had a couple of his best shots in the second fight and that gave him big confidence going in. So, yeah, listen, I don't know where he goes from here, but yeah, the whole week just seemed really forced and, and laboured. Uh, Conor McGregor, and he looked very, very tense all week, in my opinion. Yeah, Ross, here we go, right? Uh, you mentioned to me in the, in, like during the week, at the media press conference, what has happened over the last few years with the media people that are asking the questions? Now, like, I mean, it used, I've, I've seen you, uh, no, I've definitely seen you do a show about it, but like then Ross brought it up there during the week. And like, I have to agree, like, the credibility of some of these people, and no offense, I love the UFC, I love some of the people that are asking the questions. It's just sort of like, it's almost like fans asking, rather than like, obviously back in the day we had the Aerials, we had the Luke Thomases, you know what I mean? Getting really in and asking really good shit, rather than the schmo dressing like the way he does. Oh. And, and we love Robbie Barstool, but like, I mean, and he's in a brilliant situation. And then Chad Ochocinco is literally just like, he doesn't know what's going on. And they're being so biased. Ross, what you make the way the MMA media is sort of like, well, what, what's changed? Well, you, you sort of answered the question uh, by the time you've actually got that answer. It's because you hang around too much, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, look, I, I thought the level of journalism and like, I don't see the thing is, I look at you two guys, Niall and Phil, and I see you guys as journalists. I see us as more sort of media guys. We don't write. I think when, when someone, you know, puts a pen to paper, I think I have a newfound respect for those type of people. And I'm like, I'm like, those guys are the, are the real deal. We more give our opinion on video with sort of more of a, well, you guys do the same, but like I see us as like sort of newer age media. I'm terrible at writing stuff. You wouldn't be able to read my handwriting. Now I know you type it, but just saying anyway. Terrible um, writing, terrible writing. But yeah, I, I, was, I was just looking at going, uh, I actually didn't stay up for the press conference. I rang Barry the next morning after watching it and I just went, that was an absolute shit show of a press conference. I go, it was terrible. All the questions were the same. No, yeah, Chad Ocho Cinco doing plugs for Bleacher Report, mid question. Uh, and then, like, 
saying that you think one fighter is going to beat another fighter as a journalist in the middle of a press conference is the height of unprofessionalism. Yeah. Um, pink jacket guy insulting one of the fighters, irrelevant which one uh, was in the middle of uh, his press conference. Like These guys are here to get on social media and get a following by asking these stupid questions. It is embarrassing and it's actually embarrassing that the UFC give these guys the credentials to ask the questions. Again, like the schmo with the glasses, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how people haven't seen through his shtick. And like, fair play to him. I, I go, fair play to Schmo. He's doing his shtick. He's doing well off it. But at the end of the day, he's there and it's all about him uh, yeah. all the time. It couldn't be any more clear. Um, and the, the only reason I have respect for Robbie from Barstool Hill Sports is because he'll admit it. He goes, I'm just a super fan of this sort of stuff. And I've been put in this position and I'm taking the opportunities I've got. Um, and I'll agree with also the, the build to the fight. Like, he had four cherry-picked interviews. You know, he had... I actually thought the best one was actually with Megan O'Leary, but that was obviously with the UFC. Uh, Stephen A. Smith, he obviously had to do something for ESPN. Um, I actually thought Stephen A. Smith did a better job than I expected going into for the interview. But at, at at the end of the day, like, I'm still... I'm, I'm, you're almost waiting for Stephen A. Smith to trip himself up at some stage because he, he, he doesn't know... The full, t- the full shebang, really. Do you do you UFC? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, do you do UFC, bro? Uh, then obviously Oscar, like, Connor owns the Mac Life, so, like, he, he has to do something on there. And then obviously Ariel, because I think he's done an interview with Ariel before every UFC fight. So, like, you know, Ariel, Ariel has everyone in their back pocket for an interview at some stage. And that's just <laughs> the way it goes down. And he also knows that none of them are going to ask that, him a real hard question. Maybe Boris Stephen A. Smith. I think no one really dug in at him. And I thought we could have done with seeing more. I also believe that you like you can actually tell with like the countdown and stuff and the embedded, you can almost tell that Connor was like cherry picking the footage that was used for as well. He seems to have an in there as well. Um I thought it was very strange that like he said he was going away from everyone and then like people got the cameras out when he was on his bicycle and he was like cycling up and down and up and down. It was like uh, and he it was almost like a performance in itself. And then, as Phil said, uh, when he walked out to weigh-ins wearing the black four-jean jersey, I'm sure the Umbro lads were delighted with that. But uh, I think Dana White had a quick word with him. He took it off quick enough, but uh, it just goes to show that uh, he is different to everyone else. He he, do, he does obviously bring the numbers. He does get a lot of leniency. But um, I don't know. It makes it, it makes it different. And I think this is the first time for a Conor McGregor fight I didn't enjoy the build-up whatsoever. And I was saying to Barry the whole time ago, the press conference didn't think it was great. The interviews, I thought they were all the same, really, give or take one or two questions. And, you know, he was sort of given the same sound bites time and time again. I thought there was no no new material, one might say. Yeah. The one thing about the UFC, lads, and we have to keep this in mind the whole time, the UFC hates journalism, right? It doesn't want journalism. If it comes down to a choice between me or Niall or Robbie Barstool, Robbie's going to get the credential. Right? And I love that kid. I sat beside him in Abu Dhabi. I've any amount of time from, you know, any day, any hour of the day or night, he can call me, right? But that's what they want. They want the fan perspective. They want that. They love the schmo and the character that he plays. Another good guy off the screen and when he's not doing his thing, right? But that's what they want, right? They want social media hits. They want traction. They don't want hard questions. Yeah. They don't even want adult conversations. What they want is something that is preferably 50 59 seconds and perfect for TikTok or for an Instagram story, right? That's what they want. (laughs) They don't want questions about, you know, I mean, I remember um, back at the Diaz one fight 
Uh, I had a, a conversation with John Kavanagh that almost turned into an argument because John assumed that I had no idea what was talking about this what I was talking about, despite the fact I've been covering sports for 20 years. And I was trying to have a conversation with John about the gas tank, right? And I was saying that mixed martial arts is different to a lot of other sports, including boxing, right? Because it, it requires a very large gas tank, but it's also, you know, it's an endurance sport, but at the same time, it has to be explosive. And my question that I was asking was, how do you combine those two? You know, so it's like trying to do a triathlon on 100 metres and then a triathlon on 100 metres. That's literally what you're doing. And John was going, ah, you know, you people have no idea. I was going, no, no, I do. This is why I'm asking you to fucking question and the following night Connor went out there and gassed out you know the UFC hates when you do that they don't want that conversation they want oh is fighter A going to beat fighter B or you know did he call somebody's wife's a hoe you know that's what they want because that's what gets their try and if you look at the clip of Connor sitting with his back to the fence now today that I'm sure that came from a UFC camera where he's saying oh you know I'm going to get you in your sleep to Dustin right there's no this is not an accident that this is out online today lads because that's what they do but that's not journalism that's content that's mm. you know whether it be fan created by Robbie Barstool or whatever and they've no interest in it they don't want it and they keep journalists as far away as possible from it you know which is a shame because I think that it's very very hard for the casual sports fan who might get into UFC or might get into MMA but they can't because they've no objective you know they've no objective frame of reference to put this in because there's nobody objective left to cover it yeah. And what happens there, when I add what Phil was saying there, lads, as well, what happens then, there's a knock-on effect to the fighters that they don't understand what, what a journalist's role is. And, you know, as Phil and myself talked about it before, like it, it, journalism is it's a process of verification. And these guys don't get it at times. And then, you've, you know, you put out a story. I've had this happen to me before where we've had a fighter on, on a podcast um, an article's been written about this, you know about this, Phil. Uh, and then... He confronts me at an event saying, why did you put that out? And I, I, I said, well, you said this on record, on, on an on, on record audio interview for a podcast, and now you're getting, you're getting offended at me. The UFC, what they need to do is, and I've been calling this for a long time, I think I sp spoke to Paul Felder about it recently, you know, they, they have a big PI out there. Why don't they do a media training center? Because they don't want it, as Phil said. They don't want that. They just want the hits. They want the likes. And we saw it even happen on Saturday night. You know, them shoving a microphone in Conor McGregor's face when his, his foot's half hanging off. Absolutely disgraceful. And the reason why they did that is because they're getting a line, they're getting a story, they're getting a narrative for clicks. And again, like even the post-fight press conference, you had Dustin Poirier giving out to Chad Ojo Cinco because he bet money yeah. against him. You know what yeah. I mean? Like this is this yeah. is the crazy stuff that, that we're dealing with. And the amount of times I've heard Luke Thomas say that ex-fighter or Y-fighter won't talk to him anymore because he picked against him in a fight. And that's the reason why Errol Hawani doesn't pick fights anymore because they, therefore he doesn't want to upset anyone. You know, these, these guys get very emotional about stuff that has been said. And when you're in a two-person fight, when someone picks the winner, you only have one or two options. You know what I mean? So it's uh, I'm surprised they get so upset. If anything, if, if I was in a fight and someone picked against me and I won... I like I'd probably be slightly smug about it and then like not be annoyed at the person because I won. I wouldn't care as long as I won. Yeah, but what do I want people time. to do? Not even bet. Like, I mean, it's that also makes it more interesting. Like, you know, what I mean, when you pick someone, <laughs> you're like that's you're invested, you know. But, but this is the thing, lads, right? If you the mixed martial arts journalist association was started a few years ago when I think it was when Ariel had his credential pulled uh, for USC two hundred. No, he said that Brock Lesnar was going to be ninety nine. Yeah, so it's 199, he was put, and we said, okay, we have to have some sort of a thing there. Now, I don't work full-time with MMA, but I do a lot of it. And does, I don't know, Niall, if you ever joined. I know PC definitely didn't join yet, you know, but I was there from the very beginning, and I just paid me dues again yeah, for another year. Yeah. 
But but one of the things that they say is don't bet on fights that you cover, right? So this is a sort of a you know a moral idea or you know an ethical idea that we have is that we don't bet on fights we don't cover so that we can be objective about what happens there. Mm. And then you have Chad Ultrasinko covered there. Yeah, really nice guy. You know, great to have him yeah, in the fight. Yeah, yeah. I was going, I bet on the other guys. Like, what the fuck is this? And it's so hard then because what happens is that we all get tired with the same brush, right? It, 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 like the audience doesn't know the difference between Niall McGrath, Philip O'Connor and Robbie Barstool. And again, love the kid. But when they don't know that, they think, oh, you know, you all just want to be friends with Connor. I don't care. You know, like, that's not, my job is not to be friends with Connor. My job is to call it as I see it, to say what it is I see happening in the octagon and in, you know, what happens around the game and it makes it so difficult and the unfortunate thing is that this is this is mma this is a tiny insignificant part of our lives right this is just something that gives us great joy to watch and to write and to talk about right but Amen. when you take that attitude into politics and you take that attitude into fucking important things like voting then it makes it easier to say oh they're all bought or they're all just shills or he's a donald trump fan or he's a bernie sanders fan or whatever and that is seriously damaging to society because we're teaching people that journalism is that something is something that it's not as Noel says it's a process of verification this is not a fucking art lads this is a trade and it's a very very important trade and that's why the UFC needs it but more importantly every country in the world needs it well that's that's what we thought you two boys coming on be a great idea for this as well because uh, we felt strongly about it as well uh, well look I want to I want to get into the fight I'm sure people are here they want to check it out obviously in the build up all the superstars were out like Justin Bieber uh, the, the Kardashians um, the Nelk boys someone else give a shout out uh, Shingo Kelly Brown's Peter um, Browns. What what's what's your woman's name? Machine Gun Kelly and is it Megan, Megan Fox? Fox? No, yeah. who was your favorite celebrity there? Justin Bieber, big Bieber fan. What about what about you? Phil? It's the hair. It's the hair. It's the, hair. It's the songs, man. It's the <laughs> song. Your man from Blink One Eight Two tried to stick his tongue down the Kardashians' throat at one point. I was going, okay, shoot Travis your Barthes. shot, pal. Shoot your shot. You just claim his territory, <laughs> Phil. You know how it is. It was Travis exactly Barker. Was. Travis Barker, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So that's just going into it. Like obviously myself and Ross, like we like we like Ross was obviously into the UFC before me, and um, obviously when Connor came on, it like it just brought a whole new wave of fans. And then being at that UFC Dublin event, like I was like I was absolutely hooked. In the build up to it, like as much as like like I mean, we're fans of Connor, like you can never go against the Irish. Our whole platform is built on being Irish. You know, what I mean, we're never ever gonna go against Connor. Going into it, I was like as it got closer and closer, I was like, Oh shit, like I'm like so nervous. I first of all I can't enjoy a Connor fight because it gets so bleeding nervous. It's like when Katie Taylor fights. But when Connor came out, I was sort of like, right, if Connor can clean him out early, it'd be done. But if it goes on, Dustin Poirier will win. The result was the most craziest thing I've ever seen. Like Ross, in the build up to it, like just coming out in the cage, what way were you feeling? To be to be honest, uh, I think it's more almost it's almost funnier to start back at the press conference where, or even before the press conference, when Conor McGregor said, "Whoever shoots first is a bitch," right? And then Conor <laughs> McGregor shot first, and then he was saying to Stephen A. Smith that submissions don't count, only knockouts count. And Conor McGregor goes for the guillotine, and then at the press conference, Conor McGregor tells Dustin Poirier he's going to leave on a stretcher, and then ironically enough, Conor McGregor ended up leaving on a stretcher, and um, it looks like. Karma sort of came back to get him, um, which you know, uh, it, which look, you wouldn't wish that injury on anyone. It was not to do horrific in, uh, injury. Going into the fight, you know, I almost agree with the betting lines. I thought it was 50-50. I think Conor McGregor is one of the best fighters in UFC history for the first seven minutes of every fight. And I think the seven-minute mark is where the turn sort of comes with, with McGregor. And I think, you know, he loses that pop in his shots. And, you know, that's, that's when he changed up his game plan uh, quite a lot. Um, look, watching the first round, 
Uh, I know a lot of judges gave it sort of a 10-8 to Poirier and some gave it 10-9. I think if the ankle didn't roll and he didn't finish up on top for that last 15 seconds, I don't think it would have been a 10-8 across the board. I think it probably would have been 10-9 across the board. Um, look, the first round sort of was what it was. Um, I don't think um, any of Poirier's ground and pound actually la- left too much of an impact on Connor. I think he actually caught him with a right hook at one stage and sort of wobbled him, and that's when Connor sort of went in for a shot. But... Look, who's to, who's to know how the second round would have went if Connor's foot didn't roll? And who's to know how those last 15 seconds would have went? Because they were throwing serious leather at that stage of the fight. And you know what? It was quite high-level mixed martial arts for the four minutes and 50 seconds before the ankle rolled. Um, I, I think that's sort of my two cents on the fight. Um, weird enough, I don't view... I know it's going to go down the record books as a win for Dustin Poirier. In my view, it's sort of a no contest a la Chris Weidman, Uriah Hall, a la, a la Weidman Silva as well. Um, yes, Dustin Poirier won the round, but like it was by no means, the fight was not over bar the ankle injury, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, anyone else want to jump in? Yeah, Maybe. Phil, Phil, obviously Connor was being highly doubted for the first time since the Nate Diaz uh, uh, rematch. What, how were you feeling going into the, going into the fight? Yeah, I mean, I was speaking to people in Vegas. Now, Connor's team was very, very close. So I didn't even text most of the people that Niall and I would know there because I knew from Abu Dhabi, you know, that, you know, it was going to be more and more closed this time around, you know. But information still gets out, you know, and, you know, people still talk about things. And I kind of knew exactly what the game plan was. It was a Diaz 2 game plan going in there is what I was told it was going to be, you know. And that's exactly what it was. Connor started chopping away at the leg and that, you know. And there had been rumors of this ankle injury that Connor uh, had had a scan and that kind of thing. But that was one of those things that you hear that and had every Connor fight there's always a thing you know I think no I can't remember who it was it started a rumour that somebody had been injured if it was Eddie Alvarez or somebody had been injured uh, in the run up to the Madison Square Garden fight so there's always one of those days we all fucking panicked I think it was on the Wednesday night or the Thursday night in New York and everybody went ah! but yeah, I was, it was expecting a toe injury I think it was yeah that's what it was <sighs> like you know and, and we were all fucking going, trying to find out of course you know you can't like sometimes you can't believe anybody sometimes even camps put that out just to get people talking but that was the game plan that I expected um, Connor was much more on the front foot he was a little bit cagier his stance was completely different it wasn't well, it wasn't completely different but it was much more or less of the boxing heavy stance with the weight on the front foot you know and the two of them were going at it I thought it was really interesting to begin with I thought this thing of you know trying to gauge the distance Connor came very very close with a left hand at one point uh, that just whizzed by Dustin's chin and if that had a landed that was a different fight uh, but to see Connor jump on that guillotine was interesting to see. To see him hold it for that long was kind of rumor you know, has it filled that he was listening to Andrew McGatton on the podcast last week <laughs> about the submission. Uh, th- th- you knew the black belt was coming. That, yeah, exactly. I, I think McGann was trying to get his black belt rather than Connor get his, you know. So, <laughs> well, but it was interesting to see that he went on that. But the problem with guillotines is always if if you don't if it doesn't come off, you're on the bottom, you know. And you're often on the bottom in a position where there's one shoulder sort of you know leaning into your chest, and it's not a comfortable position to be to be in in grappling there. And by the time you let it go, you know, I think the Gracie brothers uh, have just released this 32 principles of jujitsu, you know, and they they would say that. Every- Every technique has a time frame, right? So you can only do certain things for a certain amount of seconds. It's not going to work. If you haven't got that armbar within five seconds, you're not getting that armbar. You've got to go for a triangle. You've got to go for something else. And Connor was a little bit late giving that up, which meant he was left in a, in a bad position. Also, Herb Dean missed that basically Dustin had his toes caught in the cage as he tried to climb through and climb over out of the guillotine. It's one of those things you can either sit through, you can climb over. And Dustin was like, you know, he had his toes in the cage, lifting himself up to get out, you know? So that 
that was a miss, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, it was an interesting fight. But there's there's always that thing if you wonder tactically, you know, about the mistakes Connor made. You know, if he wouldn't have been better off just trying to get up there. I I don't know about the ground and pound, Ross. I think it was like some of those elbows and that kind of thing landed. And I think when you remember back to when Nate Diaz got the upper hand in the second fight, there that was the first time that Connor has been on the bottom and receiving blow. I got flashbacks to that. You know, thinking mm. shit, this is this is problematic now. You know, if this punch is getting through, and then. Uh, Poirier said afterwards then that Connor was grabbing he was putting three fingers in the gloves to pull him down and up kick and that was ultimately why Poirier let him get back up to his feet but you know those elbows even if they weren't getting 100% through that, that, that's still a scary position to be in when you're not yeah. used to being on the bottom you know yeah, yeah well, I, would, I wouldn't say happened. zero now Phil I wouldn't say zero but like I don't think th- they were leading towards a TKO yeah I think they, they almost looked as bad uh, or looked worse than they were is more what yeah. I'm getting now. I, I don't the, think they were the finishing blows. They, they're the kind of thing, though, sorry, sorry to interrupt you now. They're the oh, kind yeah. of thing, though, that they encourage you to stretch out your body when you're on the bottom, right? So your your intention is then to push as far away as possible with the legs. But as soon as you push away with the legs, then that leaves your, your legs are basically straight out and somebody just pushes them down and then they hop over into mount or a better position, right? And that's the danger of them. When you're landing like a heavy elbow there, that's mm. the danger. And that's why I thought that, you know, certain things you can practice like Connor's takedown defense is usually absolutely tremendous after the Khabib fight because they worked on it so much but those kind of things defend yourself from the bottom of that position it's not something mm. you often do sorry Niall I cut you off there no I was just saying that you know I think he's going to look back and, on the fight and look at that moment where he, you know, he pulled guillotine and go you know why did I do that because you know as we've talked about Connor's gas tank is a, is a major issue after seven minutes he's done when you're on the ground if you got like Dustin Poirier on top, you're, you're you know you're pulling guillotine, you're gassing out your arms. What he should have done there is you know kept the fight in his feet, worked off the back foot, uh, basically did what he he was doing for the first two minutes of the round, and, and like he was he was slowing, he, he slowed in that in that round. Like the last minute or two, I think it was about the two minute mark where they went to the ground. The last minute and a half of that round, he looked tired. He looked very very tired, and uh, you know I think it was only going one way. To be honest, if if that's hitting a second round, I think you know Dustin Poirier probably would have got the finish because. <laughs> You know, I think Connor will look back at that and go, that was a mistake, a big mistake. Yeah, I think when he, especially when he grappled, it takes even more, like, just say yeah. if he starts at 100%, once he goes into grappling, like, it's like double the energy as it is from the striking. Because if McGregor was just doing a pure striking match, he's probably good for about three or four rounds. You know what I mean? But once you start putting in that grappling, it, it's like a, it's like a, it starts sucking all his energy. And you can see it in him as well. So, yeah, I definitely agree with that, Noel. Barry, do you want to give us your two cents? <laughs> I was absolutely heartbroken at 7 a.m. in the morning being like, for fuck's sake, and I'm going to win the Euros tomorrow. But, uh, well, technically that day, technically that day. But uh, no, when he went in, I just, oh, as I said, I couldn't enjoy it. Like, yeah, And then uh, when, I, when that happened, and then obviously the ankle thing, and then, but then that was just the strangest thing ever because it, it sorted nothing out. It was like, like at the end of the day, as much and I like Dustin as well. Every, like his whole career, he's just grinded it, grinded it, grinded it. He's been just a basically a smarter Nate Diaz, you can almost say, just grinded it, grinded it. Everyone, every, like everyone who likes Connor, also likes Nate Diaz. Uh, sorry, also likes Dustin Poirier. Bar, bar the absolute nut huggers, as one would say. But um, <laughs> no, after after that loss, I mean, after that result, it was just it just sort of nothing out. It just sort of nothing out. Obviously, it was so early over here in Ireland. It was just, it was just like yeah, like anticlimax.com. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't, you just can't leave like that. Like, lads, that, that's the thing now. Everyone wants to know now where does anyone go from this situation? Um, Ross, you may as well go first, bud. Well, to me, like, I think Dustin Poirier is going to go off and fight Charles Oliveira for the title. I quite fancy Dustin Poirier to win that fight as well. Um, Oliveira is obviously 
quite dangerous, but I just think sure size wise, I think Poirier's got the advantage over him. I think he's a better boxer than him. I don't think uh Oliver is a good enough wrestler. And if he's not going to be able to get a top position against Poirier, I don't see him getting a submission from the bottom. Poirier is quite wise to that. As for Conor McGregor... No, hold on. No, stick on that. Stick on that. Stick on that. Give, yeah. give everyone a go with the Poirier. Okay. What about yourself? Next for Poirier? Yeah, I mean, it's very hard. You know, you have to think like, you know, we talk about Conor's gas tank, right? But there's an emotional and a mental gas tank that is just brimming now for Dustin Poirier. He's gone back in there. You know, Conor took his soul with that first knockout back in 2014, right? And Dustin got most of that back, uh, you know, with a certain amount of humility in Abu Dhabi. And now he's taking the rest of it because not only is he the better sportsman, he would feel he's the better man because of what Conor said in the octagon afterwards, right? So he really is, you know, I mean, his, his sort of share price, if you like, is absolutely his, his stock is up in the roof oh yeah it's mad like you know and the Oliveira yeah good champion that kind of thing right but I still believe that you know when you know thinking back I still want the Dustin to go for the title shot after the last fight against Conor because I don't believe in this thing of money fights I just I don't like it put the best people in there let them fight for the title you know if, if that was me I would have said Dustin Poirier has to fight um, you know, Michael Chandler or Oliveira or whoever it would be for, for the title fight then you know so but that he's going to get the chance to do it now I think he'll do very, very well in it. The one thing, as Ross has mentioned there, right, the really good grapplers, and especially those who have a wrestling background, they're so heavy on you. Even a guy at 155, right, the feeling them, you know, the, the Brazilians call it a thousand kilos, right, because they just make you carry their weight and they really wear you out. Now, Oliveira is used to that. He's from Brazil. He's grappled with these guys, but it's different level with these guys with an American wrestling background, you know, who are big into that kind of scene. And Dustin's one of these guys who he's putting the rounds on the wrestling mat as well. So it'll be interesting to see. I honestly think that Poirier is one of these guys. He looks like he's gone to MMA University. You know, he's such a well-rounded fighter now. Yeah. He's in such a good place mentally and emotionally that I do think that he has all the tools to, to become the next lightweight champion and probably you know it easily by the end of the year if he wants to and again he's also eight and one i think in his last nine fights with names like max holloway justin gagey conor mcgregor twice on a dan hooker i think eddie alvarez on that list and anthony pettis as well noel can 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 charles Oliveira do anything against dustin poirier yeah, I think, listen, I think both these lads are, are greatly underappreciated. And obviously, I think Dustin's getting sort of um, some props now. You know, Charles is to a certain extent. But yeah, listen, man, Charles, people often forget how good his Muay Thai skills are in his stand-up. He's an excellent, excellent striker as well. Um, and, and I just want to go back to the point in Dustin. I don't think we've, you know, I don't think he's really got the credit he's deserved after, after the fight at the weekend, you know. What he's done since that first meeting at UFC 178, I think, you know, going into the fight on Saturday night, I think it was Connor's fourth fight at lightweight and Dustin had 14 within that time. And what he's done is he's just evolved, you know, you know, mentally as well. I think, you know, he, he's overcome those hurdles. He's, he's been in those title fights and, um, you know, he's been in those gunslinging battles with Eddie Alvarez. He's overcome every sort of challenge a mixed martial arts has, has had to face. And, and that's why he is so good. But listen... I, I think people are overlooking Charles here in this fight. I think, if, as Phil said, you know, he gets you to the deck, you're in big, big trouble. And I do anticipate that he's going to get him to the deck at some point. And I don't think it's going to end well for Dustin. And as much as credit as I've just given Dustin, Charles deserves it as well because he's he's an absolute savage on the deck. That's two a former, hot take from Norm McGrath there, Basno. Yeah, two former featherweights. And then, lads, obviously we're going to get into the con- Like We all presume he's the, the Charles Oliveira. And Dustin Poirier are going to fight each other for the title this year. Uh, Touchwood, like you know, what I mean, the show has to keep rolling on. But Ross, obviously, Connor's going to be out for a, a while. He got the surgery done, supposedly. That's all right now. He's going to be on crutches for the next six weeks. What are you sort of expecting from Connor now? I don't to see, expect to see Connor back in the octagon this year. I think it will maybe be 
sometime in spring next year if he does return. And I think they're going to do the Nate Diaz trilogy next. Um, I think Dustin Poirier will probably end up on a different trajectory than Conor McGregor will. And to be honest, I don't think it will go in Conor McGregor's favour to fight Dustin Poirier, who will remain active next. I think he's better off fighting someone like Nate Diaz, who tends to stay about as inactive as Conor does. Um, and I think that's probably the fight to make next. That trilogy uh, will do absolute gangbusters for the UFC. It's a great business call. And look, at some stage, UFC have to look at their ethics, even though Phil O'Connor will totally disagree with me on this. <laughs> and they get the, like throwing Connor in, in for, an, for a title shot if Dustin Poirier is the champ is just farcical at this stage. You know what I mean? But uh, look, crazier things have happened. But I think he should do the Diaz trilogy. Phil, what about yourself? I think on Saturday night was the last time we saw Conor the contender in the cage. I don't think we'll ever see him fight for a title again. I don't think we'll ever see him fight at lightweight again. I think we'll see him take on Nate Diaz and they'll do a real, you know, getting back to evil Conor, you know, and throwing cans of monster, one of which whistled over my head in Las Vegas at that press conference. I think, I think that's what <laughs> we're going to get up and head it for the lads, no? Yeah, no, I'll <laughs> fucking catch it. Free monster. He tried it to get a lawsuit going. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That hit me. That hit me. But I'm think... Molen for a Oh, after exactly. it was a kind of Guinness, now I would have caught it for me. You know? oh, but, yeah, uh, <laughs> but but I think that's the end of the. Like I, I honestly don't think Conor will be thirty three now. I, I think it's the day after tomorrow. Yeah, Wednesday. Uh, yeah. That he's going to be thirty three. So. Like, you have to ask yourself, what does he want out of life at this point in time, right? I mean, if you're going to get back, because the lightweight division is and pretty much always has been a shark tank in the UFC. That has, there in featherweight, for me, has always been, you know, the hardest matchups because they have knockout power and they're also quick. And, you know, it just, it requires so much to stay at the top of your game there. And that's why so few people can do it with any sort of longevity, you know? Uh, it's a little bit easier at the lower weight class and at the higher weight classes because you just got to hang in there, you know? Um, but uh, I think that that might be the end of that. I, I think that, you know, if he was to do that, the, Connor was at a fork in the road on Friday before this. And this is what I wrote in the preview. And he's still sitting at that fork in the road because he broke his fucking leg, right? And if he had a won, yeah. he would have had a lightweight title fight and a boxing match against a real boxer, against a Manny Pacquiao or that, that kind of figure, Floyd Mayweather again or whatever. That didn't happen. He broke his ankle instead. So the other fork in that road for me is Nate Diaz too and a fucking YouTuber or a social media influencer. And, you know, that kind of boxing match. They're the two things. Now, Connor, people talk about him having so much money and that kind of thing. Yeah, but it's very easy, you know, for that sort of pile to go down, especially when you're in an expensive rehab process and you have a lot of people around you who are depending on you for their living, right? He can't just sack everybody and scale everything back. He won't want to do that, you know? But so that's going to be like Floyd Mayweather, you know, my kids can't eat legacy, you know? And that's where he's going to find himself. And the soundest, most sensible thing for him to do is to take on Nate Diaz, who, let's face it, smokes a bit of the belly. Uh, he's not really in it anymore. He's in it for the money. He's not in it for titles. He's in it because, you know, he's an OG and he wants yeah. to be there. So fighting these social media influencers is the same thing. Connor should be able to pick them off. No bother. You know, he shouldn't be in there with Floyd Mayweather, but, you know, he can box and he put him in there with both the fucking Paul brothers at the same time for me. And I'll, like, I'll definitely pay for that pay-per-view, you know, but I think that the people around Connor now, and that includes Dana White, it includes Audi Attar, these people need to manage him properly, right? Not doing what he says he wants to do, but doing the right thing for him, right? And I have never met nor seen anybody in combat sports who knows what the right thing is for themselves. It has to come from outside. It has to be Dana saying, take this Diaz fight. We let you go box come back you know fight fucking GSP in a grappling match do whatever you like but this part this chapter for now it's over no. I disagree you know I think 
and the reason why I disagree is, you know, I totally agree with you, Phil. Like, these guys need people around them. They're going to tell them to do the right things. Dana White doesn't do that. Dana White looks at his back pocket and sees how many, you know, dollars, $100 bill notes there is there. I think if Dustin wins, what they're going to do is because because of what's said, what the, the narratives there, we saw the, the you know, the, the stupid interview, as I talked about earlier on, which I was very angry about when they put the microphone in Connor's face when he's lying in the octagon. Yeah. There are little bits of content the UFC can, can use to sell a future bout between these two. I think Connor said too much. I think if Dustin goes out and wins this fight against Charles Oliveira, they're going to look at next year, potentially July, in my opinion, and they're going to try and do that stadium show between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier in, in Las Vegas. That's the way I look at it. You know, Dana doesn't really care about his fighters. And I think they're going to try and milk every little penny they can out of Conor McGregor while he's still there. And I think that narrative with Dustin is obviously still there at the moment. So I wouldn't just be surprised a, if we see that next summer. Just a point on that, Niall, right? The last fight and the only fight in the UFC that Conor has won at, light fight, at lightweight was against Eddie Alvarez in November yep. 2016, right? In the meantime, how many fights has he had? Like four fights in seven? Four and Dustin had 14, yep. Yeah, so and so this is exactly the opposite of what Dana White would have wanted for the UFC, right? Because remember, Conor was asking for equity. He wanted a share in the business and that kind of thing, and they couldn't make an agreement. So essentially what both of them have done is the antithesis of what, what you were saying there, right? Conor should have been in there three times a year, every fucking year, right? But, you know, just building, building, building that legacy. But he wasn't able to do it because everything else got in the way, right? Conor is not a fighter. He's not a guy with a beard and tattoos getting in there anymore. He's an industry, right? And I remember yeah. uh, when I sat down when the Notorious documentary came out in 2017, I think it was in October, and I flew over to Dublin to interview him. And we sat down, we only talked about money. And he said to me, one of the things he said to me was that was the, the time when he had, he sort of admitted and apologized for being at Artem's fight and using homophobic slurs. And he said one thing to me that stuck out, and it struck me again this weekend, lads. He said, I, at the time, he was only 28 or 29 or whatever. And he said, There's no handbook for doing this. And I went, Yeah, you're probably right. And then I went on, Hang on a fucking second. There is, right? Combat sports has existed for over a century. This is, you know, you have Bob Arum, you have all these guys who've been doing this for a long time. And they just haven't managed to fit Connor into that frame, into that sort of cookie cutter thing of making him into a fighter that they can promote, right? Now, even difficult people like Muhammad Ali went from being Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali to dealing with the Nation of Islam, changing his religion, rejecting the Vietnam War and doing all these things, and was still an absolute cash cow for the sport of boxing. He still managed to fight. Now, his career ended in terrible, terrible circumstances with the losses and the illnesses that he suffered afterwards, right? But they still made him lucrative. Whereas the UFC, to me, they have failed utterly with the absolute golden boy, the golden goose of the sport. And this is all they've managed? Four fights in five years? That's all you could do these people have no idea how to run a business not only for the best of conor mcgregor but for the best of themselves they don't even know that at this stage that's me not getting that accreditation ever again isn't it i'm fair so i think andrew mcgahan we'll edit this part out phil (laughs) (laughs) i think andrew mcgahan touched on last week he was saying that um throughout the whole pandemic conor said you know he'd fight x y and z he was saying he'd fight diego sanchez and then you know that all blew up and then you know dana white and ufc took their golden goose and tried to paint him in a bad light uh, saying he was looking for a fight with Diego Sanchez. But I think at that stage, he was like, I'll fight anyone. Just give me a fucking fight. And they wouldn't give it to him. It, they couldn't afford to pay Conor McGregor. Well, they say they couldn't afford to pay Conor McGregor in with no crowds. But at the end of the day, I mean, you can come to the negotiation table and make that work. You know I mean, I'm sure you could get someone on board to do extra sponsorship for a Conor McGregor fight behind closed doors. 
believe you me, if, if they really wanted to make it happen, they would have done something to make it happen. And I think his inactivity has probably hindered his performances as of late. And his inactivity has also, you know, hindered the UFC as well. Definitely. I think that as well. You know, I think what you were saying, what Andrew said, you know, they've effectively messed up, you know, the kind of athlete I think everyone wanted to see, you know, an active guy who's competing three, four times a year. And it's the reason, that is the reason why we're not getting the optimum Conor McGregor. And it's the UFC's fault because they're not willing to pay the cash. They're not willing to play hardball. You know, they're so greedy. I think they even wanted a, a live gate uh, for, for, for Conor McGregor. You know, we saw the three or 4,000 going in the second fight there in Abu Dhabi. So it just tells you um, what's going on with the organization at the moment. And, you know, as we were saying there, like, you know, and what, what Phil was saying in terms of, you know, the Diaz fight next, that fight can wait for a while. And, and that's why I feel strongly about, I don't think they should do it, but I feel strongly it's going to happen. The Poirier fighters, because they'll, they look at Diaz and they go, we, we can do this anytime we want. Poirier, that's only a certain sort of time structure they can do that in. And I think they're going to try and fit it in next summer. But yeah, you effectively bang on what you said there in terms of, you know, him not being active enough. And, and we, we haven't seen the best, the most optimum Conor McGregor because of that. You want know, things- You're after selling to me uh, uh, what's called Poirier <laughs> McGregor next. Just as I thought about it, if he fights Diaz and then loses Diaz, but like they can't do Poirier as opposed to they can do Poirier now. And if he loses that one, they can still do the Diaz fight. That The Diaz fight never goes away until they both never. retire. Mm-hmm. And in MMA, you can retire four times and still come back. Yeah, they'd be 55 <laughs> years old. Like they'd be older than me in the octagon for, you know, Nate Diaz against Conor McGregor. Finally, the trilogy and we'll all be dead, you know. But the <laughs> thing about Conor, and one of the things you have to hand it to him, lads, is he did change the game in terms of the money he has made at a fight. And he has changed the purses. He's changed everything. It's gone up. We saw now a pay-per-view card of the weekend where the bonuses were 75K because the UFC had to be seen to be doing something. They're getting so much criticism over fighter pay. But when people see Conor do this, John Jones sees what Conor is doing. Derek Lewis is not one of these guys to go after money. He says it doesn't matter who I fight, I'm getting paid the same amount of money anyway. Daniel Cormier, you know, was it was in Dana's ear going, Hey, if this Connor boy is getting money, then I'm getting money. They didn't all get pay-per-view points. All the mm. champions didn't get pay-per-view points before. As far as I know, they're getting them now, you know. So Connor did change that. And this is partially why they haven't allowed Connor to fight. Because when you start to pay him or give him what he wants, right? Then of course John Jones is going to say, Look, you know, I'm one of the greatest of all time. I need to be paid as well. And they're not prepared to do that right and I keep going back to this there's two things one that Dana White had his hand in Conor McGregor's pocket and it, that makes it very hard to fight against Floyd Mayweather in a boxing match that has nothing to do with you you know and the other thing is that the richest man in mixed martial arts is Dana White and he's never taken a punch in his life you know and this is the problem with the UFC is that you know they have these blinkers on and they like the only thing they care about is what's best for the UFC not what's best for the fighters and certainly not what's best for the sport of MMA and this is why things like the Ali Act where you separate the promoter from the agent these things have to happen if this sport is going to join properly join the mainstream and really look after the people who take part in it I suppose the other thing on that is that anytime there's a McGregor pay-per-view as well they can't actually put a title fight on the card as well even if they want to do a main event because the champion now gets pay-per-view points they don't want to pay out a Davison Figueredo actually sorry Brandon Moreno now or uh, they don't want to pay out Amanda Nunes Valentina Shevchenko any of these guys Volkanovski big money when they don't have to and if it, when Conor McGregor fights in pay-per-view, it's like, you know you're never getting a title fight on that card. Even if McGregor was champ, you wouldn't even get a get one now. 
there used to be a time when everybody wanted to be in a Conor McGregor card. You know, I remember speaking to a, I, I won't name any fighters who've told me these things because I haven't cleared it with them. You know, I remember one fighter saying to me, there was a time when we all wanted to be in a Conor McGregor fight, but now there's so little money offered for those bout agreements. But they go, oh, you're on a Conor McGregor card. And the fighters are going, you know what? No, they still punch me as hard in the fucking face when I get in there. So, you know, <laughs> I may as well get an extra five or 10 grand on, on a different card. T Wood was actually famous for saying it. He was like, he was like, it's great. I get loads of extra money and I have to do less media. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Actually, lads, like lads, the, I just want to say all the interviews. I just want to say, like, uh, obviously, all the options there are good. Um, I just want to give like a, a curveball, but like after Ross and Niall uh, agreeing on that, it's going to be Poirier. I was thinking maybe there was an outside chance he could do a boxing because obviously the ankle. He got like he's going to have to sort of watch that for a bit. But I, I think he's sitting in the hospital now, being like, you know what, these everyone's fucking against me. I'm coming back. I'm going to show them all. That's uh, like, and I don't think going into a boxing match against Floyd Pacquiao or Jake or Logan Paul or KSI. Or me, calling you out. No, I'm joking. Uh, that doesn't. That's not. That's not making anyone happy. Everyone wants to see this trilogy uh, finalized. Quadrigy Quad- or <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Uh, question for uh, Noel and Phil, just because you might have your ear close to the ground than we do. Just um, in terms of replacements for this fight, Max Holloway was pulled from the Ayer Rodriguez fight, and then he went over to be the replacement for this fight. But we were told he was injured for the Ayer Rodriguez fight. And then we also heard that, uh, well, we saw that RDA was also the replacement fight. He weighed in for this fight. What did you guys hear on that? Well, I, I, I heard it was it was RDA straight up. Um, okay. I, I don't know about, I didn't hear anything about Max. I heard it, but he uh, declared it himself. That he was injured, yeah. He said he, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think, you know, the RDA, RDA one has, has sort of fresher. It's, you know, it's, it's another narrative there that's, we sort of, I think we forgot about until mm-hmm. um, the confrontation we saw in UFC embedded between the parents on Saturday, or was it Friday evening, I think it was. Um, so, you know, that's another one they could potentially do down the line. But I, I think we need to get back, you know, his, that injury as well, like that's, you know. Serious. Serious, It's a serious. very, very serious injury. Like it takes a lot of time to heal as well. I think it, it, I was reading today, I think between 12 and 54 weeks is sort of the return time. So no sort of running or walking till, till after three mm. months so listen we we don't even know there could be mm. there could be serious ramifications uh you know for that it could be a lot longer than expected I, i'd look at you know as you said probably spring minimum of, of next year before he gets back in there and yeah it's just uh i just think we need to be mindful of that as well about the about the injury because that that as i said you know it's it's very very delicate uh Part bone, I think it was the the shin bone. Is it the t- tibia? Tibia, tibia, tibia. Roll the dice. The only thing is, is when he does announce his return, and it is inevitable, he he will come back at some stage. I, I, I firmly do believe he does. And when he's announced against whoever he's announced against, there will all be that glimmer of hope within every Irishman that he's going to go back in there and get the job done. Yeah. And Lamb won those big left hands. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think this is this is the first time where I saw the press conference. And I was like, mm, I, I'm not, I'm not as convinced. Normally, leading up to every single fight, even the Khabib fight, I'm like, I'm convinced he's going to do it. He's convinced me. He's convinced me. And this was the only one where I'm like, I don't know. Like, uh, like even though it was the exact same amount of time between Diaz one and Diaz two, I was like, this one's. This one's slightly different. I don't know why, but it just was. But maybe, look, yeah, maybe it was the, the, the way you were so quiet. They giving didn't give you the reassurance. Yeah, it was I, like the I Ronda think, Rousey. Think, it was a bit like Ronda Rousey in a way. Yeah, I Not think I think there was more vibes that. But look, at the end of the day, he got in there. Um, he gave a decent show of himself all the same. Like you, it wasn't it wasn't like uh, you know it was the most one sided affair I've ever seen. But uh, oh. 
look, at the end of the day, best luck to him on his uh, rehab and his yeah. injury. And hopefully we get to see him again someday soon. Because I think we all do forget sometimes how much he's made this sport a global phenomenon and how much he's actually added to that. And I think the day he does leave his gloves down in the octagon and he does retire, you know what I mean? We'll, we'll almost take for granted how much we enjoyed yeah. the Conor McGregor era. And it's one of the greatest sporting stories of all time. I remember, well, it was actually after the Ivan Bunchinger fight, but I remember him being on Ariel Hawani's MMA hour and saying, you know, he didn't have a pot to piss in eating his blueberries. And I remember him, you know, showing up the fight island on a yacht. You know what I mean? Like these are, these are two parallel universes that, and he made it all for himself. He made himself an absolute global icon. And I was talking to a guy from India today, which is very random on um, Spotify Green Rooms, um, which is like that new app that PT and Ariel are on. And I was, I was actually, it's mad to see how much people in other countries idolize him as an icon as well. You know what I mean? In Ireland, his stock is like probably lowered a bit, but like you see the guys in the states and them coming out of that restaurant, and you know what I mean. It was it was it was like One Direction came came out to a bunch of fifteen year olds. It was it was next level. So he is an absolute global icon. And um, whether you love him or hate him, by God, do you watch him? Yeah, uh, Phil, if any, if Phil, any last words on that? Yeah, no, last night, lads, there's a Swedish soccer player called Robin Quison who played in the European Championships there and he lives, or he's from near me and last night he'd organised a big screen outdoors for the kids. He's done it for a few of the games, you know, and um, a friend of his got on to me and said, oh, Robin's up there, come up and say hello, you know, so I went up and I was talking to him and this is what happens. I live in a suburb where there's a lot of Swedish people, a lot of immigrants, right, and as soon as I show up in these contexts, right, everybody wants to talk about Connor still, right, so even if you can walk down the street in Ireland, you know, Pete was telling me that people didn't know the fight was on, everybody wanted to know about what happened to him, would he be back, who's he going to fight, who's... they had exactly the same conversation that we've had for the last hour or so, you know, so he yeah. still is that global icon and I mean, to be honest, you know, for all the headlines about him, for all this thing of, you know, punching people in pubs and the allegations have made against him the one thing i want to see for the man is for him to find happiness whether he's the millionaire or billionaire that he wants to be or whether he's living in a two up two down house in crumlin again i don't care i just want him to be able to be at peace with himself and to say i did that i went there and i changed that entire sport and the whole world knew my name and i hope that the people around him including the ufc including his management including all the people who train and spar and fight with and against him that they can see that and help him to do that because I really think that you know for the joy that he's given people that, that he deserves it you know as I say there's, there's all that other stuff that needs to be dealt with as well but that's all I'd wish for for any sports person at the end of the day that when they do come and lay down their gloves in the octagon as you said there Ross that they're at peace with themselves no it does very touching sentiment it was yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, no, beer, man. <laughs> no what about yourself no, no, I, no I agree and I, I just think as well you know you know maybe we start have to ask ourselves that question you know is he done should he walk away from the sport now? As Phil said, would he find more happiness in there? Because everything does feel a little bit forced, as I said, over the last sort of couple of fight camps. So, listen, there's no shame in that as well to, to walk away from the sport. And, and maybe he might have to have this injury. We still don't, we still don't know how this rehab is going to go. But yeah, listen, um, you know, I've, I've been there since the beginning, and it's been it's been some ride. And I think, you know, even if he walked away now, we'd, we'd have some of the best memories I think we've ever had. Myself and Pizza used to always say. Like the Aldo, uh, the Mendez fight, they were like the Italian 90 days. Yeah, they were really, really special times. And you know, I just don't get that anymore. I don't get that same buzz, unfortunately. And I think that is reflected in Connor's performances as of late. And 
listen, as I said, you know, I'd be happy for him to walk away now if he wants to do that. But as Phil says, as long as he's happy, he finds peace. That's the main thing. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Uh, well, like, uh, I think it's needless to say, we obviously we don't want him to be in the last fight because, like, Connor feeds everyone, whether it be, like, people posting selfies with him, people posting videos about him, et cetera, et cetera, podcasts, um, fucking... Uh, he, he, brings the, he brings the numbers one way or the other. He brings the numbers. He just brings the yeah. excitement full stop. He's just one of the most exciting people in the world. And look, all the superstars come out to do it, and they don't come out for anything. But... uh if it is last fight, like, I mean, it, we've had some crack and um, I'm sure everyone will raise a, a glass of proper 12, but I, I can't see it being the end. He's only 30, <laughs> 33 now on Wednesday. The only reason why I know it off by heart is the same birthday as my mom's, but I mean, I, I, I think it will continue. He's, I say, I, I say he's getting ready to get, I say, I say he's doing some sort of sit-ups now on the bed right now, you know him, but. Uh, no, I agree, but, uh, yeah. you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be sad if he called it a day. But no, I no, I agree. Like, I agree. I, I think he, he is going to continue on. I think that, burning desire is still there but whether he can you know match what he, he did in the past he, i'm not so sure he seems like a man who wants to go out on his own terms one way or the other yeah exactly yeah, let us know down in the comments what you think as well guys but here there is also other fights on the card lads I, i'm not sure if you have the card up but i was wondering if okay i'm gonna ask each is to give one shout out or one fight or fighter on the card that you that really impressed you and you want to talk about so phil i think it's your time to talk you're dying to go there Oh, the one who didn't impress me, I have to say, was uh, Sean O'Malley. That lad, Moutinho. Was it Moutinho that he met there yeah. in, in that first fight? The human punching bag. Unbelievable. Like, you know, what do they call him? The green zombie. You know, like th that kid yeah. was just amazing. Imagine taking that fight on two weeks' notice against, you know, the guy that the UFC, the golden boy that the UFC are trying to build, and he goes in and builds that. I'll tell you, lads, I'm going to be front row center for his next fight. It doesn't matter where it is. I want to see that guy fight somebody on his own level, you know, so that he can get his, in there. His, his, his corner should have stopped there. that fight, though. And that's another thing I need, you know, that it. It got uncomfortable, I think, after that second round in that fight because he Great. was just eating shot after shot after yeah. shot. Great block with the face down all no. <laughs> he was just he was just he was just walking into Everton, taking Everton and you know lack of really head movement, one like, might say. <laughs> that's a big but it's a big stigma in the sport, you know. This yeah. you know the corner should stop the fight there in the second yeah. round. I think Dana mentioned after I think I tweeted about it. It just it gets to a point now where when are we gonna actually sort of accept that it's okay to stop a fight when the guy's getting his head poked off. You know, we saw what Anthony, uh, Anthony Smith a number of months ago, where he's handing the referee his fucking teeth like, do you know what I mean? It's, mm. it's just, just yeah, uncomfortable. Maybe Calvin Catter against Max Holloway as well. Yeah. Jeez. That was, what, that what, was what, up in that. Bro. Listen, what are we, what, what are you achieving what, what at this age? Guy. Exactly. Yeah. What are you yeah. achieving? Like, you know, you know, it, all okay, credit to him, but, it, it, it kind of comes down to the referee as well, don't know, because like, you know, in that situation, they're there to protect you from yourself, you know, like, you know, a, a much, and all Ross as he was defending himself well with his face it's not intelligent defense right so I give that I know you know <laughs> I'm sort of joking about that but I really did enjoy the kids go forward sort of mentality that thing he actually looked like he had a brush handle up his back because his head was just stuck it never it moved like he'd once. a rocket up his arse to be honest yeah, exactly, he was going yeah. forward so much so, so he, that's the thing. I mean, he also knew this was the biggest platform he was ever going to get as well you know he's you know what yeah, one thing I will say is I think we learned nothing about Sean O'Malley throughout the fight we all know he has an absolute array of arsenal strikes we all know he's accurate. I think he set a lot of records, but like, I don't know if you can like re-applaud him for those records considering yeah, like Moutinho almost like went out of his way to make sure each strike landed. I think he <laughs> landed a, a, actually a record amount of strikes uh, yeah. or, or was it a record percentage of strikes and a record amount of strikes in Bantamweight division. Um, it was almost strange, the stoppage as well, because he wasn't like fully rocked. Well, it was hard to tell whether that guy was rocked with the amount of shots he was eating. He just yeah. seemed to keep going forward. And I was a bit like, I was almost confused by the stoppages. Like, 
why now, Herb? If you know what I mean, yeah, as in like, that was crazy. why not? Why not two minutes go? Why not three minutes go? Why not a round ago? Um, but again, like I, I found it, it was obviously a tough decision for Herb Dean as well because this guy was a zombie. He was going to keep on coming forward. And like, I think enough was enough. And maybe third, uh, Herb Dean backed like Sean O'Malley by knockout and was like, you know what? I need my <laughs> money now. So uh, we'll, we'll call it a night for Medellino uh, here. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was definitely a, his stock definitely didn't go down, um, Sean O'Malley. But in my opinion, I don't know any more about him than I did before. No, what about yourself? Any fighter, fighter? Yeah, I think you know, former cage warrior. Um, his performance against Ryan Hall was absolutely phenomenal. That's it. That's Ilya Taporia. This guy just looks like I'm getting really excited about seeing this kid over the last couple of years. Now I think that's eleven and zero. Um, you know, so good on the feet, you know, and to, just to handle a guy like Ryan Hall um, in such dominant fashion was just absolutely insane. And this kid is going places. There's a real buzz, I think, around George mm. and mixed martial arts at the moment. And, you know, I was talking to someone about this the other day. It's strange, you know, obviously the, the, those guys over that side of the pond, that side of the world, they're traditionally known for their grappling and stuff like that. But there's a, there's a whole host of guys who are really strong kickboxers and good in the feet coming from that area. So he's a guy I think we re- we really need to keep our eyes on in the next couple of years because phenomenal performance against a guy like Ryan Hall, as I said. Um, yeah, Ross- th- another another man who uh, wasn't too great with a striking defense on this occasion, Ryan Hall. Yeah, uh, very yeah. much hands down. Um, but yeah, no, great performance. <laughs> and uh I, I, I might butcher his name, but is it Kaladze is going to fight Barboza in the main event soon? Cheeky. Georgian? Yeah, another Georgian. Uh, yeah, uh, Geek, Geek, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Geek and he's Kaladze against uh, Barboza. And, he, and he's undefeated as well, isn't he? So, uh, I, well, I think I, I, I think, think he is. is anyway. yeah. uh, so th- these Georgians are coming in thick and fast, so uh, it will be very, very interesting yeah. to see. Uh, I, I actually just want to say in the co-main event, you know, Gilbert Burns, uh, I actually thought it was a great performance by him. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't the best fight. It didn't get me up off my seat. But it was good to see that he is an elite welterweight. Because um, I was sort of, I'm not going to say a question. I knew he was very, very good. But I was wondering how good was he. Because he sort of beat Damian Maya. You know what I mean? If you can nullify Damian Maya's jiu-jitsu, which obviously Burns can with his jiu-jitsu. I mean, I fancy Burns on the feet. And I think it was the same with Gunnar Nelson. He, he was the heavier hitter between himself and Gordon Nelson. Then he sort of got the Usman fight, lost the Usman. I was like, how good is Gilbert Burns at welterweight? It was sort of an unknown commodity. And see him in there, execute his game plan against Wonderboy. I thought it was great. Um, I was actually laughing. I was speaking to someone during the week because uh, someone goes to me, yeah, but did you see Gilbert Burns? Got, got your man into MLA Wonderboy. I go, Raymond Daniels. I go, I think every single person in the world has got Raymond Daniels into it, MLA Wonderboy. And I think DC alluded to it on the broadcast as well. Yeah. But, uh, Look, he got decision win over Wonderboy. Wonderboy is a tough puzzle to solve. And, you know, I mean, he's established himself as a top welterweight yeah. contender. So, yeah, shout was, out to was, Gilbert Burns. Ma- mention how they were head- in the headlock. <laughs> I think we did that off air, but you have to mention it. I was a bit perplexed that people, um, you know, people were sort of bored by that fight because, you know, for him to get the job done, he did exactly mm. what he had to do. So, yeah. you know, that's the way I was expecting the fight to go. Nine times out of ten, if he stands mm. up under boy, he's losing the fight. I think I think they're just dying for the main event, you know? Well, <laughs> well put, put it this way. Like, I'm never bored by it. I love a chess match. The more the more sort of a, like, um, strategic game plan for me, the better. But, uh, like, people weren't impressed in the Twitter world. But it's not really the best gauge of uh, where, where, where you should be getting your, uh, your views from. But, like I said, when someone can... Uh, when someone can nullify Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, it's very, very interesting. And 
yes, there was a there was a bit of a, a schoolboy headlock at one stage with a few few punches. But uh, <laughs> sure, look, you know what I mean. That's the wild thing about mixed martial arts. You actually never know what you're going to get, and you also get something next to new every weekend as well. Yeah, I want to give a shout out as well to Toy Two Vassar for knocking out Greg Hardy and doing the <laughs> shoey after, and he kept doing shoeys on the way out for people in the seat. And I think someone put that Dustin Poirier hot sauce in one, so because he did, yeah. it, it was all red. Yeah. I was like, what? A, that fella deserves getting knocked out as well. But lads, overall, we get. <laughs> 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 okay, lads. Overall, what would you give a rating of this? And then I just want to mention a couple of things about this week's uh, events going down. Uh, what would you rate the card overall, Ross? Probably give it a seven out of ten. Uh, look, the, I, I was entertained. Taporia, like Sean O'Malley, was entertained one way or the other with Matino's lack of head movement. Um, I was, I was interested in the Gil Burns, but like, it's hard to give it any more than that with the way the main event ended. If it, the main event ended in any way of decisive finish or or went to distance, I'd probably give an eight and a half out of ten but i'm in around the seven mark i'd say phil yeah yeah usually when it's a i have to write about a card i'll go to bed and i get up for the main card but this time because the cup america was on i just stayed up all night you know and i had the, the two screens going and that and it actually turned out to be an awful lot better than i expected so i'm gonna give it a seven and a half out of ten i'm gonna sneak ahead of ross there just a little bit, you know? so, <laughs> he's a bit more the, generous than me <laughs> yeah just feeling generous this evening after england losing you know so but it was it was just entertaining the whole way through even the chess matches and that kind of thing i just found the whole thing really entertaining I'm going, to go one, I'm going to go one better than you, Phil. I'm going to give it an 8 out of, out of 10. Oh, get in there! I did. I, I enjoyed it right from the get-go. I think, you know, you look at Zhumagulov, I think it was. Zhaglash Zhumagulov in the first fight. That Stan and Gia team was, was fantastic, and it sort of set the tone for the rest of the night. And uh, again, someone actually forgot forgot to mention, I thought he was absolutely phenomenal. Drakus du- Duplessis, what a talent that guy is. He's going places. Never seen, seen the scorecards and all that, fella. Yeah, seen it from KSW. You know, all the way over his second UFC fight, his second finish. Then we'd Michelle Pereira and Nico Price, another f- fantastic fight. I really enjoyed that one. Two boys swanging um, for the hills. <laughs> and then we, we'd Carlos Condit as well, obviously come up short yeah. against Mac- Max Griffin. Yeah, bar the main event. Um, I think it was a really, really decent card. And as you said, um, I really enjoyed Gilbert Burns and Thompson as well. I know everyone didn't really enjoy it for some unknown reason but uh, I enjoyed it definitely uh, Noel, lack of understanding no lack of understanding <laughs> no if Taito Vasa comes and fights in UC Dublin will you will you do a shoey off with him for with a Guinness no I, I that's it's just I wouldn't put a Guinness near a shoe that's disrespectful to my, uh, to, to my to my beautiful uh, drink of choice only, only on draft not over I'll, I'll put the shoe over his head that's <laughs> <laughs> overall overall I, I'd give it a 7.5 I can't, I can't go higher than that just because like Connor's losing I was I'd going to bed the, like that that morning was terrible but like for just so it, it like the whatever way you want to look at that card it the, like the show continues there's more you there's more MMA this week uh there is Bellator this Friday. It's being headlined, Julia, being headlined by Juliana Velasquez versus Denise Kilholtz. That's Bellator 262. Yeah. And then um, also on Saturday, the UFC is back. It's being headlined by Islam Makachev against Tiago Moises. Uh, Misha Tate returns. Jeremy Stevens on the card. Uh, Rodolfo Vieira is on the card. And uh, shout out to Billy Quarantillo. But lads, Islam Makachev taking on Tiago Moises in the lightweight division. This, like, Makachev is being, like, everyone's saying no one wants to fight him. Uh, Ross, which way, which way do you see this going on Saturday? I really think uh, Islam will win. I, I, I don't think he'll have it completely his own way. Tiago Moises is uh, like, he's probably an underrated fighter in the lightweight division, to say the least. But I rate Islam easily in the top five in this division. Um, I think he's an absolute monster in the grappling. Um, people say, you know, just sheer grappling him versus Khabib, he can really hold his own against Khabib. So, look, I'm going to say that Islam wins hand decision. 
Phil, what about yourself? What do you make of that, that? Like, how far do you think Islam can go in this division? This is it's exactly as Ross was saying. You know, I think he can go a long way on that grappling style because as yet nobody has really cracked the code, right? If Khabib was to come back tomorrow, we're still in the same place as we were make when, your when, when he retired. So, um, you know, I think it's it's going to be fascinating to see if if I don't think we're uh, this fight is at a level whereby whereby that's going to be dealt with. I, I just don't think so. I think Makachev is going to win that one, and it's going to be interesting because then his name is going to start to turn up in discussions as well. Going, mm, okay, you know, he's not going to be in a title shot straight away, but he's going to be coming into that kind of thing. We've had this. You know, Chandler's been there. Hooker's been there. Uh, Oliveira's been there. Poirier is there. You know, so he's going to be in there, there, thereabouts. Okay, who can we throw into the mix to make this interesting? And, and it would be fascinating if we were to get a sort of a Khabib 2.0 and see, you know, has anybody actually learned anything in the last five years? Uh, no, we'll leave, it, we'll leave it with you. Yeah, I, I think this guy is, is the real deal. And, you know, started out slow in his UFC tenure. We didn't really get the performances I um, we were expecting in his first couple of fights. But the last couple, he you know, he, he's really come in. That performance against Drew Dober was sensational. I think he's way too much for... Tiago Moises and Moises I don't think has ever faced a guy like um, Islam Makachev in terms of his grappling I think Islam Makachev you know in the next 12 to 18 months is you know going to be knocking on the door for a world title shot I, I, submission went inside two rounds for me on Saturday night and yeah he is that good and I was speaking to Javier Mendez his coach recently and, and Javier said you know he he basically backed that up that he said you know he is more talent than Habib nor Magomedov and that's a scary thought for anyone and I think we're seeing it uh, slowly but surely um, turn into turn into turn into that so yeah I, I, I think this is his last time fighting someone who doesn't have a big name and who, who isn't a, a top top contender um, like like you alluded to at the start Barry people will get a you know the contracts sit across them with the Islam Makachev's name on it and then <laughs> their leg starts to hurt, you know what I mean? Like, oh, no, no, no. I, 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 I can't fight that weekend. The next weekend against anyone else is fine. Uh, people don't, <laughs> people don't want don't to fight this guy. And uh, again, especially a five-rounder is probably even worse against him, I think. So, uh, yeah, like Noah said, I, I think he'll get the job done. Uh, Thiago Moises, I, 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 like, it's sort of a funny one because like you, you sort of just want to say something nice about him but when you're dealing with Islam Makachev it's a whole other ball game exactly lads that like that that basically wraps up the whole entire show um Noel and Phil we want to give you both the chance to give a, a shout out to whoever or plug in whatever you're doing and uh yeah so Phil you may as well go ahead first Oh God! Um, yeah, just follow at Philip O'Connor on Twitter. I'm going to be off at the Tokyo Olympics doing all sorts of weird things. It's going to be a weird Olympics this time. So uh, follow me on there, and we'll see how it goes for us. And, and I also want to give a shout out to a young up-and-coming MMA journalist at Noel McGrath Four on Twitter. Really <laughs> good follow there, lads. I mean, I get all my information. All his opinions are basically mine, but I tend to say them first before he has a chance. There you go. If Phil summed it up perfectly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, get over to Talking Brawls as well. Uh, Noel's doing some good stuff over on YouTube there. Uh, Noel's one of the OGs in the Irish media game. So, Noel, Phil, absolute legends. Uh, we love your work. We love to have you on. And um, we'll definitely have you on again. Uh, I think me and Barry have uh, decided that going forward for all UFC pay-per-views, we're going to do probably previews and then post-fight shows. So, who knows? Uh, we might be hitting you up for UFC 265. The UFC interim heavyweight title between Cyril Gann and Derek Lewis. The fight that everyone's been waiting for. Yeah. And if you are new to the show, make sure to like. If you're on Spotify, make sure to hit follow. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to leave a comment. Make sure to follow the boys. And as always...
Stay, Stay energized. energized. And so seeing you guys a couple of times, I've seen a couple of clips. I think you've done some interviews with Dylan Moore and that. But I, I, I saw. So keep going. Keep up the good work, guys.